Well, as I said, it's a very great joy to be with you tonight and to be spending this sacred time together with you. This is a special time for priests because, in a real technical way, the, the Chrism Mass is actually supposed to take place today, this morning. We usually do it Tuesday, just to kind of space, you know, time-wise, you know, we're crunched for time. But it's Holy Thursday that the Chrism Mass takes place, and the priests renew their uh, promises, their priestly promises, along with their bishop at the cathedral all together, and it's, it's kind of a special time. So Holy Thursday Supper is, is really a kind of a continuation of that for, for priests. And this is the one day of the year that the church uh, actually prescribes what the homily should be, all right? So the homily tonight will be on the institution of the Holy Eucharist, on the institution of the priesthood, and then also on Jesus' new commandment of love. And the commandment of love that we see in the Gospel of John is a really, it's, it's kind of, it really knocks my socks off. I think it's a really wonderful and amazing thing to meditate and think about. In the other three Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus gives the second greatest commandment. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so basically how I would want someone to love me, that's the, the measure by which I measure the love that I should give to other people. And that's a really profound thing in and of itself. But in the Gospel of John, our Lord ups the ante, as it were. And he says, you shall love one another as as I have loved you. So that's a really tall order. And that that commandment now for loving our neighbor is now measured by Jesus' own love. Which, of course, is, is amazing. We celebrated that today. If you were present for my homily on Palm Sunday, this past Palm Sunday, we see the suffering that Jesus embraced and that he went through out of love for us. How wonderful that is. And tonight in my homily, I'm going to talk about this love that Christ has for us, that we are to imitate, that we are to first and foremost find in the Eucharist, and be enabled to give to others because of the Eucharist. And then secondly, the priest has got a special calling. All Christians are called to give this love. The priest is bound to do it all the more so. Okay, so that's how I'm going to kind of lead the priesthood into that. But this love has got three characteristics, and I'm going to go through them stepwise. One, two, three. This love that Jesus loved us with, that we find in the Eucharist, is... First off, a love that does not discriminate. Secondly, it's a love, and this is a big one, a love that cannot be hurt. A love that cannot be hurt. And then third, it's a love forever. How wonderful that is. How wonderful, how consoling that is to know that the love that Christ has for us is a love that does not discriminate. A love that cannot be hurt and a love that is forever. So first off, let's unpack that first characteristic, the love that does not discriminate. Well, I'm going to kind of do a sort of a mystical interpretation of our Old Testament text from Exodus. We realize and we understand that the feast we celebrate today is rooted in the Old Testament Passover. This is a Christian Passover that we celebrate tonight, going on words, especially through Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It's a Paschal mystery, the mystery of the Passover, taken from that Old Testament, but now fulfilled in Jesus and elevated 
and come to its full meaning and its fullness. So we go back to that Old Testament text, which is prophetic of what it's all about in the gospel, what it's all about for us as Christians. And we see a line that really strikes me very powerfully. It says this. This was the commandment that was given to the children of Israel on the night when they uh, when they performed the exodus from Egypt. God says through Moses, Every one of your families must procure for itself a lamb, one apiece for each household. If a family is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join the nearest household in procuring one, and shall share in the lamb. My brothers and sisters, with Jesus, guess how many lambs there are? You see, in the Old Testament, there were many lambs. How many lambs are there in the New Testament? Just one. What's that mean? It means that we are all one family. We are all one family. And if there's any family, we don't need to erase human divisions and subdivisions. Okay, if there's a national family or an ethnic family or a socioeconomic family, it's not like they don't exist. But guess what? Jesus is bigger than those subfamilies. And so what does it say? If a family is too small, it shall join itself to its neighboring family. Jesus is a lamb that's too big for our divisions and our small families. He comes into the world and he makes us all one family. Joining together all the different subfamilies, not erasing them and pretending them that they don't exist, but joining them all together in a higher unity. A unity based in his love. In his love. How wonderful that is. And so Jesus' love in the Eucharist that we are to exemplify, especially if you're a priest, is love that does not discriminate. Taking the Eucharist into our hearts, we absorb into ourselves the sacramental body of Jesus Christ, but also the mystical body of Jesus Christ. The mystical body that each one of us is a member of. The mystical body of Christ. We are members of one another. And uh, moreover, just even beyond Roman Catholics and beyond Christians, we can, and we really should, approach every human being on an individual basis. Okay? Even if they're an atheist. And we should relate to them as if they are called to be a member of the body of because they are. They're called to be a member of the body of Christ. Okay? That's what Jesus died for. He died to make everybody, to incorporate everybody, to leave no one out. And so when we approach every person, every individual person, we need to love them as if they are Jesus himself, members of his body. No matter what religion or ethnicity or whatever they are. Jesus says in the Gospel in Matthew 25, I believe, he says something beautiful. He says, when you do it to the least of these, my brothers, you do it to me. So we are to love everybody as a potential member of the body of Christ, but especially those individuals who are on the margins, those individuals who are poor. Those individuals who are lonely and desolate and suffering. And Mother Teresa's got a beautiful spirituality. She says, 
Even in wealthy nations, wealthy countries, there's a spiritual poverty. Everybody that you meet, another saint you probably heard, everybody that you meet is fighting a hard battle. Everybody that you meet. There's a certain emptiness and poverty in everybody. And so in a certain sense, we need to look at everybody as the least of Jesus' brethren and regard them that way and relate to them that way, to love them that way. People are hurting. People are hurting deep inside. And you know what's really sad, and we really see this powerfully during Palm Sunday, is that people who are hurting inside, sometimes, unfortunately, they hurt others. Okay? And so we need to expect that. We need to expect that our love is not always going to be returned in kind. In fact, sometimes people might hurt us. But that's where we come to that second characteristic of Jesus' love, of his Eucharistic love. It's a love that can't be hurt. And this is really challenging. This is really tough. But if we love the Eucharist and we have Jesus deep in our hearts, we'll understand it. Someone might hurt us. But we're able to absorb that. We don't ignore it. We don't block it out. We don't say, well, that's nothing. We feel it. We feel the hurt. The abandonment, the insult, whatever it might be. We feel it. But yet, we are able to absorb it. And the love of the Eucharist is stronger than that that dart, that sword, that wound that pierces our hearts. It doesn't... It's not that it doesn't exist, it's just that it's swallowed up, and it's eclipsed, it's overwhelmed by the power of the Eucharistic love of Jesus in our hearts. And so in that sense, that Eucharistic love of Jesus is a love that cannot be hurt. I love this line in tonight's Gospel we heard. It says that Jesus, knowing all things that were to take place, and he was fully aware of everything. He said he loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. He loved them to to the end. It's a love that doesn't cease. It's not temporary. And he did that for, for guys, the twelve apostles, he knew in just a few minutes were going to abandon him. They were going to, he had been as sick as possible with them for three years, and as soon as he's in trouble, they're all going to flee and abandon him. And yet he loved them until the end. That painful thing that they did to him, it was painful and it hurt, but it wasn't bigger and more powerful and stronger than his love for them. So he was able to eclipse that pain with his love. It was a love that cannot be hurt. It's a love to the end. And so finally we get that final third characteristic. It's a love that is forever. As a priest, one of the big challenges that, I think a lot of young men, they don't want to become priests because in the Roman Catholic, Western Roman Catholic tradition, there's a a tradition of celibacy that's associated with the priesthood. And that's kind of a big stumbling block and a deterrent for a lot of guys who are contemplating the priesthood. And it's something that every priest or every kind of uh, consecrated celibate has to sort of come to grips with in their own life and figure out, you know, what is what is the meaning of this vocation? And uh, for me, the meaning of the vocation of celibacy is love. Is love. You give up a family so that 
you can be incorporated into a bigger family. That universal family that's surrounding that one lamb for each household. And someone might say, these are things I've, I've you know, sort of um, contemplated and processed over the years. Someone might say, well, there's nothing like flesh and blood children. As a priest, you can talk about your spiritual children. But they say, well, there's nothing like flesh and blood children. Now I'm the hospital chaplain. And I can tell you, when people are dying at the end of their life, you know, lots of times, the only relationship, when push comes to shove, that you can really depend on is the parent-child relationship. It's really true. Sometimes not even siblings are there for the people. And, and there's people who die all alone because they don't have kids. And it, and it is true. It's a reality. It's sad. And you know, so I contemplated that because I, I sort of uh, shepherd people through that process every week, multiple times every week. So uh, it's, it's a very sobering experience for me because I contemplate my own death every week on a, on a regular basis. And I think to myself, will I be alone when I'm dying? And you know, I, I'm willing to accept that I, I very well might be. And I'm okay with that. Because of this. Because the people that I minister to, I know that I am transmitting to them not a biological life, but a spiritual life. And that is very real. It's more real than anything else. And it creates with me and the people that I minister to a father-son, father-child relationship that, it's true, it's not exactly like a biological relationship and you get to know the person like you know your own child. It's not, it's not the way exactly like it is. But it's a bond that is eternal. And I have a very deep faith and understanding that all my relationships with all the people that I love that I minister to out of Jesus' love, that's that's an eternal bond. And I will be friends with those people for eternity. I will be getting to know them and developing a relationship with them for all eternity. And even though I don't know any of you here personally, I trust and I have deep faith that I will get to know each one of you for eternity. Because this brief span of time on this earth is just that. It's so brief. It's fleeting. How many people, I'm, I'm 45, I just celebrated my birthday recently. How many people reach 40 and then 50 and then 60 and you say, oh my gosh, I'm 45, really, really. You're like, where, you know, I kind of, I thought I would do this and I never did and I wanted to do these things and I thought these things would be done and what, my gosh, life is fleeting. But Jesus' love is forever. And when we're rooted and grounded in that, that's what makes our relationships with each other eternal. And so we don't have to be worried about trying to get everything when we're here on this earth. You know, sometimes people live life on this earth as if, you know, uh, it's like it's going out of style. My dad used to have this <laughs> phrase where he'd say, oh, they're buying up item X, Y, or Z like it's going out of style, you know. So meaning they're, they're kind of greedy, they're going after like animals, you know. And we can be afraid and live our lives on this earth like that. But that's, that's not how Jesus' love works. Jesus' love doesn't ever go out of style. 
It's not limited. It's not a commodity. It's not quantifiable. It is infinite. And it's for everybody. And the more that we share it with each other, the more it continues, and the bigger it grows, and the stronger our relationships with each other become. So that's my faith as a priest, as giving up my own family to embrace a family that is real and is eternal, because it's based on Jesus' love that does not discriminate, that cannot be hurt, and that is forever. So my brothers and sisters, this is what we celebrate tonight as Jesus gives us his own sacred body and blood in the Eucharist. It's what we celebrate tomorrow when he gives himself to us on the cross. It's what we celebrate Easter Sunday when we see clearly and truly that his love is forever as he rises from the dead.